Do you think this would be possible if it weren't capable of withstanding such a feat? Do you think it questions its own capabilities? Do you appreciate the beauty of a butterfly knowing this is how it came to be? It wouldn't be beauty without the struggle. I've always felt and I was born with several palsy. I have always felt small. I may be blind, but I teach people how to see. And I'm proud to be an individual. This podcast is for you, the unconventional leader. Maybe you are the one that everyone discounted. Maybe you struggle with fear and self-doubt. We are here to empower the next generation of self-starters to step up. Use their voice and make an impact in this world. Hey there, welcome to today's episode. If this is your first time listening, my name is Heather Parody. I am your host, and today we are continuing our series of unconventional leaders. What is that? Well, I need you to head over to Facebook, put in unconventional leaders, and you're going to meet some of the best people in the world. We're doing a little series where we're interviewing some of the leaders from that group, and today we are talking with Sabrina Suarez. She is a mental health advocate and talks to us today about what she has learned about being a supporter for those who struggle with mental health issues. This is a powerful episode from the perspective of a loved one. What can we do? What are the best ways that we can support those who are struggling? Sabrina is also an author, just came out with a book, Hallelujah. It will be linked in the show notes and she shares a few of her poems at the end of the interview, which is really cool. So make sure you check that out. Before we get started, though, if you have not subscribed to this podcast, please hit that subscribe button. And also, also, one of the major reasons we have this show is to encourage you to step up, use your voice, and make an impact in this world. And one of the best ways to do that, to start off, is to start putting out content online, whether it's a podcast or a blog or a video series, starting to share your message. If that's something that you want to start, or maybe you have started and struggle with being consistent, I have a free starters course to online content that you can access by clicking the link in the show notes, or you can text 345-345 and grab that free training. All right, let's go ahead and get into this interview. And remember, if you or someone you know struggles with a mental illness, please, please seek professional help. There is absolutely no shame in doing so. It's one of the most powerful things that you can do. I didn't actually start out my college career going and wanting to be a social worker. It was actually after I discovered that there was such a need and also such a flexibility with social work. Like the skills that you learn there, you can apply to anything in any field in your day to day. Um, And I really, really love that versatility. I thought I would be good at it because of my background, um, including experiences that I've had in my childhood, which included um, emotional and sometimes physical abuse. Um, I had a mom who suffered pretty severely from several types of mental illness. So growing up, I was always in a household that was pretty unstable. Um, And then when I left home and went to college, I experienced depression for myself for Mm. years. Um, where I was very, very unhappy and I was super miserable. I was a miserable person. <laughs> I can't imagine that. Everyone, so says that. Everyone says that, but it's, 
it, I was a miserable individual. Like Hmm. I went from zero to a hundred in anger over nothing, Hmm. absolutely nothing. Um, I did over a year, almost two years of therapy. Um, and I really, really worked hard to get to where I am today. So I'm really happy when people say that they notice the difference because it it took a lot of work. Lastly, um, I had a significant other who suffered very severely from mental illness um, and that he actually inspired this book. I started writing it as a way of just coping with what he was going through and my interactions with him and supporting everyone I was interacting with in regards to their mental illness and it just kind of spiraled uh, down to where I was writing so often and had this collection of poems where I was like this is a book this is my experience and I was talking to other people as well who've had like similar experiences and they were like my perspective as this person supporting Um, is not shown often. And I thought that was really significant. I personally haven't seen many things from the supporting role um, and showing that perspective. So I was like, you know what, like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure it out. And here we are. (laughs) And I mean, if, if I'm not misunderstanding too, with your mom having suffered from severe mental illness, you were probably put in a position, even as a child of having to support her in some ways too, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like I, I am only 23 right now and I have accomplished so many things. Yes. Yes. But I've accomplished so many things and I um, really attribute a lot of my maturity now and my success now to the experiences that I had Mm -hmm. when I was younger, because I had to become very independent and very mature at a young age. Um, Also because my father passed away of cancer in the middle of my mom's deterioration of her mental health and their extremely messy divorce. Everything all at once was just like, all right, I, I have a background of figuring it out and um, really being self-sufficient. Yeah, a lot of that contributed. Man, how did you process through that as a young child? I mean, having to grow up that fast, seeing someone who is a caretaker really struggling, what was that like as a small kid? It was difficult for sure. Like I tried to maintain a positive outlook, um, but sometimes it was just really hard. Like when you have someone who is supposed to be this role model and you're told they're supposed to be this role model and act in a certain way um, and they're not, it's always hard to process because of that expectation that we have, the idea that we have that is not being met. Um, and the disappointment that goes along with that, and then the blame that goes along with that. Um, Mm -hmm. In the moment, I was definitely not practicing any sort of uh, forgiveness. I was more like hoarding and stuffing down my emotions, Um, and then I developed a lot of protective mechanisms or um, coping mechanisms, which did not serve me later on in my life. So I became like very emotionless, like detached, disconnected from outcomes, um, disconnected from people in general, um, for fear of being hurt, for fear of being judged for all of that. Um, And all of those things I realized after I left, because I moved out when I was 18. 
Um, and I haven't been back since, although we have uh, mended our relationship a little bit since then. Um, but yeah, so I definitely had to readjust after um, developing all of those things that helped me stay sane in the moment, but did not serve me later. Yeah. Yeah. What about your relationship with your father? I believe one of the first interactions I had with you was me watching a YouTube video. We were going and visiting his grave and that was just a really mm-hmm. powerful segment. Can you kind of share your relationship with him? What was that? What was that like? Yeah. So growing up him and my mother had a very like spotty relationship. They did not have um, effective coping mechanisms at all. And their communication wasn't that great um, to which he owned up and she owned up to that fact. And so I being the adolescent that I was (laughs) really, again, just disconnected. Like I wouldn't tell my parents that I loved them or I would try to just stay out of the way of their arguments. Um, sometimes they got physical, like police were called. Like I just tried to stay out of the way. Um, and so because of that and because of their interactions and how negative some of their things were, although he was present and he, he never mistreated me, I didn't have a very close relationship with him. Um, and I now reflect upon that and wish that I had kind of separated the action from the person, um, and had taken the opportunity to develop more of a relationship with him and get to know him Mm -hmm. as a person and not judge him by his actions at the time. Yeah. And how old were you when he passed away? 17. How did you handle that? So he, he passed away of cancer. Him and my mom were in a, a messy divorce in the middle of a messy divorce. And they, split up around August of that year. He got diagnosed in October of that year and he passed away Christmas night in our living room in December that year. So like all of that happened within a couple months and I was present when he collapsed in our living room and um, everyone was a mess. (laughs) But I was not because I, (laughs) I was like, the person that was reliable, responsible. I was very level headed. I still am that person. Um, and so while my mom was kind of like freaking out, I was the one that was like, all right, what do we do? What is the 911 dispatcher saying? Like all this stuff. And even afterward, my mom left in the ambulance, um, with him that night. And I mean, it was like midnight. So she left in the ambulance. I was in charge of my two younger sisters Um, I was there like cleaning up all of the ambulances equipment. Like I was waiting for my grandmother to come. She lived a half hour away at the time and like all this stuff. And even after that, I continued that, um, that sense of disconnectedness and, um, that really responsible persona that I had developed. I really clung to that, Mm. um, until recently I've been doing more of the emotional work on myself and seeing how it really impacted me and like digging through all of those emotions that I had just put away, like in storage kind of. (laughs) Do you think that's where some of that anger and depression came into play when you first entered college? Do you think that's kind of the root of that? So I think that it contributed a little bit, but no, because 
even after he passed away, I was still in the tail end of my high school um, career, and I was still very much a happy person. Like, I had a positive outlook on life. Um, I didn't really let it get me down. I saw it as more of like an opportunity. I was blessed with a perspective of like practicing gratitude, everything that I had, the breath that I had, like my health, everything. I was so grateful for it. Um, but when I got to college, I think it was more the fact that my mother was so not present. Like she, she took a swift nosedive <laughs> with her mental health and she, I mean she wasn't she wasn't there for a while like years after his death like she was still not okay so that that was that basically played out through my whole college and I think the blame that I mentioned earlier in regards to her and like the hoarding of those emotions with a lot of the stuff that she had put me through and then continued to put me through throughout college is where some of that came from. Yeah. Um, but I, but I know for a fact that, um, that was around the time that I started taking birth control as well. Mm. And I think that this is also an important uh, conversation to have because a lot of people don't understand the side effects, mm -hmm. um, that some medications can have for them. Absolutely. Um, I personally did not know that it was making me so, so depressed and angry. Um, I didn't realize that it was affecting my emotional health so severely until I stopped taking it wow. after three and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. So like I attributed it to everything else. I started like, Oh, okay. This is important. Like I started labeling myself as that type of person. Mm -hmm. I am an angry person. I am the person that this happens to because of everything that has happened to me. I started really carrying that around with me and then it affected everything. It affected yeah. my relationships with others. It affected my ability to do my job well and enjoy my job. It affected everything. Yeah. And so I embodied that and that was my narrative with myself. Yeah. So it wasn't until I stopped, I stopped taking the birth control and still had a little bit of that narrative, but it was not nearly as severe um, that I realized that it was actually the birth control that made me feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting and true. I just true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what about just being a woman, like growing into yourself and discovering what it means to be your own woman and not necessarily having the most healthy relationship with your mom, which is really kind of our basis and example of what a woman's supposed to look like. How have you navigated through that? Um, so I always say that I am so, so blessed to have had the experiences that I've had because I genuinely love who I am right now. Um, and I would not be the person that I am right now if I hadn't had those experiences. Um, but in terms of womanhood and the support and everything like that, I really grew accustomed growing up to not having that support. So it didn't necessarily um, hinder me in any way in terms of like progressing with myself, except for when things would get really bad. Mm. Um, and that was more just on a level of like emotionally being okay rather right. than like 
me developing as a person. Right. Um, so in terms of that, I think now that I have repaired some of that relationship with my mother, um, cause we have had some really honest, honest conversations with each other now as I'm an adult, um, that has allowed me to really practice that forgiveness and, um, develop more relationship with her. I think now that that has happened and I have more of the support that I wasn't used to before, it has definitely promoted um, my ability to be a nurturer yeah. or be connected and being okay with being vulnerable mm -hmm. and all of those fundamental things that we um, generally as a society relate to, like more of a feminine uh, persona, yeah. like yeah, all of those things I have now tapped into more, let go of a little bit of the harshness that I harbored before. Mm. Now stepping into kind of a leadership role where you are using your voice to make a difference through your work, your social media presence, now your book and all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Was there any hesitation? Like how did you work through sharing your story and talking about your, you know, your mother and your father when it's not necessarily always in the most favorable light. Like, did you have to have a conversation mm -hmm. with your mom about that? Like what happened there? So I actually was silent about a lot of my experiences. Um, I almost thought of them as secrets to myself. Like if someone would directly ask me about them, I wouldn't hesitate to share what had happened to me in my life, but I wasn't the most forthcoming with the information. I, me personally, put a lot of significance around these key events that happened to me growing up. Um, and I associated a lot of negativity around them. In doing so, I didn't realize that I was almost carrying this weight, like a backpack mm. full of just negativity and full of um, just this heaviness that I could have very well let go of. Um, but chose not to by not sharing. So it wasn't until recently, like very recently, within the last like six months or so, that I did a lot of soul searching and I did a lot of emotional work moving through all of the things that were holding me back Yeah. as a result of that weight. So all of the limiting beliefs, um, all of the ways of being that weren't serving me, I had to pick through, identify all of them, how they were showing up in my life. And I still do this in my day-to-day -day conversation, whatever I'm, I'm constantly thinking about like, okay, is this coming from a place of abundance or is this coming from a yeah. place of scarcity That's real. and adjusting as I go about my day-to-day? It comes up multiple times a day, even with the amount of work that I have done already. Um, but it's, it's become a lot easier to share. And I just, I did have that conversation with my mom um, the other, the other week actually about like, Hey, listen, this was my experience and I'm in no way trying to harm our relationship as it is right now. Um, but it's harming me to keep it to myself. That's good. And so she was very understanding about that actually. And she was like, I understand that I did some horrible things. Um, and I wish I could fix them, but I can't. Um, and at that point I told her like, no, there's no fixing. Like these things happened, but they can be now neutral once we practice forgiveness and we can move forward and create something much better in the future. 
I've had so many people ask me about that because when you step in, and this show's for leaders, it's for people who are wanting to do what you're doing and step out and use their story, make a difference in their own way. But a part of that, a part of making an impact is story. It is authenticity. It's vulnerability. It's this coming from, because people don't care. I mean, like you can have all the techniques in the world of how to do this, how to do this, but we want to connect on a human level. Mm -hmm. And so in order to grow your brand, grow your business, spread the message, make the impact, you have to show up as the human being. And with that is a lot of messiness. And there's such a hesitation. I've felt it before. So many people have talked to me about it of, I want to share my story, but I don't want to break the heart of the people who are in it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's a really, so talk to me a little bit more, not just about, you know, you with your mom, but also Mm -hmm. you're very raw and vulnerable with your work. And I love the words that you use. You're a writer and you're just very out there. Like, you're just like, here Mm -hmm. it is, here I am. Mm -hmm. This is me. How are you able to show up that way? So that's really interesting that you make that observation because um, I haven't always felt like I was like that. Hmm. And other people have told me that that is how they received me, but I, I didn't feel it as I was putting it out there. And I think that when I did feel it, the times that I was like, I am going to be vulnerable. I'm going in with the intention of showing up exactly like you were just describing. I have gotten way more feedback, um, positive feedback. Yeah. I have made so many more genuine connections with people. Yeah. I, re- I really, really touch upon that for the importance of if you're building something, putting yourself out there as yourself. Yeah. Um, because I talk a lot about also how if you are not satisfying yourself and you are not able to show up and allow yourself to be seen, you're hiding out, which I have done, by the way, um, <laughs> yeah, me too. if you're not if you're not able to do that, then you are playing it small. And that's a giant disservice yeah. to not only you, but the people around you. Yeah, it's almost maliciously holding back something that could help someone else hmm. like that for me was a giant shift in perspective that allowed me to then put myself out there more. And because I, I claim I want to help people. So if I really want to help them, then I am not going to hold back my gifts and my art and everything else that could potentially help them tremendously. A hundred percent. Which means to putting yourself sometimes in those situations where you have to have those hard conversations with your parents or different people and mm-hmm. approach it with grace. Like you just did, like you said, Hey, I don't want to hurt you, but this is my truth. Mm-hmm. This is my story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's beautiful, beautiful lesson. Uh, switching gears a little bit into this book you wrote and the poetry that you're doing about supporting people in your life who are struggling with mental illness. Can you just share with us a few ideas, thoughts, your philosophy about being a supporter? Yeah. So I have been in a supporter role several, several times in my life as a social worker as well, have interacted with many, many people in many different situations, populations, all of that who suffer severely from mental illness. Um, And I personally think that we will all all experience some sort of mental health concern at some point, or at least know someone that is influencing our lives because of a mental health issue. So I think that it needs to be talked about more, way more. The stigma around it is huge and it's preventing a lot of people from getting help. I think a lot of people are in that situation where they don't know what to do. 
um, because they are watching someone that they love deteriorate mentally and then they're they're kind of helpless and you can't do the work for them is a mm-hmm. lot of things uh, is something that I think is so so important for people to understand is they need to do it for themselves you cannot do it for them right um and I mean some part of that is like you literally can't make them take medication or you can't get information from their doctor or all of those things that you wish you could take initiative with but another thing is like they have to want to live mm-hmm. like you cannot force them to do anything and you cannot force them to have the mentality that you have in regards to their life. Right. Um, That was something that I struggled with a lot is the expectation of like, you should at least take care of your responsibilities or you should X, Y, Z like should is me placing my own expectations on someone else. Right. Expecting them to meet them when they just simply can't. Right. It was a lot of readjusting there. Um, I know a lot of supporters that have to do that as well. Um, readjusting so that we can meet people where they are. Right. Rather than where we want them to be. Um, and I think a- another thing that relates to that is like the empathy versus enabling. Mm-hmm. I really had a hard time with where that line was Mm -hmm. because you want to be empathetic. You want to understand, okay, there's something happening with you that is not allowing you to do these things, but I can't promote you not eating or not, you know, taking care of yourself and all that. Um, So finding that balance was extremely, extremely hard, which is why I also tell supporters to focus on their self care. (laughs) Huge. I, I dedicate a whole section in my poetry book to just poems where I discovered what self-care looked like for me in the midst of trying to help someone else. Um, But I know for sure that I would not have been any good to him if I hadn't removed myself to some degree and taken care of myself so that I could then grow as a person and look at the situation objectively to help him. Right. One point you made about the, kind of forcing you should be doing this you should be doing that I think something that helped me is this idea of motivational interviewing and if Mm -hmm. anyone wants to learn about that really dig into that I think it's a fascinating concept that you know when you do that argument when you say like oh this this and they have to argue back with you you're actually having them reinforce their own belief on themselves. Cause if I'm like, Hey, Sabrina, you should do this and this and this. And you're like, no, Heather, I shouldn't because of this and this, I'm actually making you reinforce your own belief. Cause you're saying it out loud. You're having mm-hmm. to find an argument with it. Yeah. So we're trying to help, but we're actually mm-hmm. making it worse by arguing and talking. Just like you just said, just placing this should thing on them. Uh, Mm -hmm. motivational interviewing guys look it up it's super Mm -hmm. fascinating Uh, to wrap up a little bit I would love to hear one of these poems if you don't mind yes yeah so I actually I will actually read you two okay this one is from the section that I just uh told you about which was like the self-care section of my book um and the title of this is actually self-care so I like to read the titles at the end just so you know but so it goes Imagine being on an airplane. You're soaring through the air without a care in the world when suddenly you're told to brace for a crash landing. 
and soaring becomes hanging on for dear life and you talk and you look to your friend your partner your child your reason to be alive and have to decide to put your mask on first or you both die it's that hard dang yeah <laughs> i love reading my poems it's it's a new feeling because i mean the book is just coming out now but I love it. <laughs> That's really cool. Give me another one. Give me another one. Yeah. Yeah. So this one's actually my favorite one um, out of the book. And it goes, a caterpillar's transformation into a butterfly is grueling. It must change from one form to another by first becoming nothing. Do you think this would be possible if it weren't capable of withstanding such a feat? Do you think it questions its own capabilities? Do you appreciate the beauty of a butterfly knowing this is how it came to be? It wouldn't be beauty without the struggle. So good. That is so <laughs> Where can people connect with you online? Where can they grab that book? Yes. So Savvy Artistry on everything. So Instagram, Facebook, um, Books by Savvy is for my books. And that's S-A-B-I, by the way. So S-A-B-I Artistry and Books by S-A-B-I. Very last question. I ask, I've been asking this question a lot lately, but sitting here listening to you talk, I decided I'm going to change it up a little bit. Okay. <laughs> a little on the edge, you know. Um, the question I normally ask is if you were to go back in time and talk to yourself a few years ago, like what would you, what would you share with your younger self? But I want to know kind of reverse, like let's say mm -hmm. you're looking back, you're 40, you're 40 years old, mm -hmm. 40 year old mm -hmm. Sabrina looking back at you right now. Imagine if she were to walk in here and sit with you, mm -hmm. what do you think she would tell you? I think first and foremost that she's so damn proud of me. Like, I feel that pride right now in myself and everything that I do. I feel that pride for the person that I was as well, my younger self. And just the amount of things and the impact that I've had so far um, may seem minuscule to some, but it's just a testament to how far I've come and makes me so, so, so proud. And so I 100% that would be the first thing that like, I think that would be the first thing that she would say. Um, and then I think she would also say, like, keep going. Don't ever let anything keep you from pursuing exactly what it is that you were meant to pursue. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you have not subscribed yet, please head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and hit that subscribe button. And also, if you have a second, leave us a review. Lastly, we have a private Facebook group. If you are looking for a tribe of like-minded leaders who are unconventional in their approach, but dedicated to making an impact, head over to Facebook and type in unconventional leaders, and we will be sure to add you. You guys have a great week.